Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Thank you again for being with us today and inviting us into your home or your office, your automobile, wherever you may be. We appreciate you coming in with us each week to listen to Warren Litzman's great teachings from Loving the Christ Life and the Christ Life Fellowship. This week, we are winding down the series on renewing the mind. This is a uh, convention that Warren had years ago in South Africa. It's really been amazing. We've got uh, another episode here today. So we're going to bring in Warren right now, and he will be starting in Colossians 2.9. Here's Warren. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You see what that last verse says? It says that only in Christ is the human being complete. What do we need to renew our mind to? First, I came into the world in the image and likeness of God. There's nothing wrong with myself. Second, the moment I came into the world, an operator took hold of me that was contrary to my creation. So I've been fouled up, misused. You ever shed tears over the way you act? You ever get mad over the kind of person you'd become? We all have. That's because we had the wrong operator in us. So finally, in his operation, he gets big enough till our whole life is under his sway. That's when I told you there's no separation between you and him. You've become one. But all the time, this worked against you because you knew, you knew that's not really who you were. And you finally came to a point to where you couldn't save yourself. You needed a savior. So what happens when this takes place? What happens to this human self, Christ comes in, right in the midst of all this confusion of who you are, the misuse of you, Christ comes in. Now, that's the best definition I can give you for grace. That's the grace of God, that Jesus would live in me after I had been misused all those years to where I no longer was like what God created. That's what I want your mind renewed to. Well, here's the problem. Most of us, the moment we came to the Lord, begin to take on other kind of problems. I always like to tell the story of the old boy. He's a drunkard. He's mean. He's ungodly. Everybody in the church is praying for him, and one night he comes to the altar and gets saved. He had been holding back on doing that because he didn't think he could live the Christian life. But finally he was so overwhelmed by what was happening to him. He was a sinner and wanted to go to heaven. And he wanted to try to do what was right to please mama and the church and all the rest of them. So he gets saved. Everybody rejoices. It's a great moment. After a little while, Dear Sister Susie, I don't I hope there's no Susie here because I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you, Susie. Old Sister Susie comes up, meets him at the altar, 
And she's so happy. She says, I'm so glad you got saved. We've been praying years for you to get saved. And, and said, now then we want to help you to live the Christian life and to be one of us. And so he's already bewildered about what he's going to do. He knows when he gets up from the altar he shouldn't drink or do all the things he's been doing before as a carousing, so he's, he's worried about it all. What am I going to do to be a good man? doesn't take Sister Susie a moment to tell him. So she says, now if you want to be a good Christian, this is what you need to do. You need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. You need to come to church every service, and you need to pay your tithes. Well, when he hears all this, something rings in his mind. He thinks, those are things I can do. I believe I can do those things. If I do those things, I'll be a good Christian. Yeah. You'd be a good Christian. You do those things. So he thinks, I can do that. You know why he thinks he can do that? Because the last operator that was in him had him doing all kinds of things, and he did them. So if that's what Christianity is, is doing these things now that I've accepted Christ, I can do something. This was bad for him. Because he's going to discover what all of us have discovered, that doing things is not Christian living. Now, I don't want you to mistake my words here. Somebody gets the idea I don't believe in prayer. I do, but prayer is not what saves you. It's the death of Jesus on the cross that saves you. I know people that pray 24 hours a day sometimes, but that's that's not spiritual life. That's good. That's talking to your father, and you ought to do it. You ought to pray when you feel led. You ought to pray daily. You ought to read your Bible daily, not against those things. I'm just telling you, that's not what creates Christian living. Christian living is developed by this person in you. Why? Because he's changed the operators in you. By the cross, you had a change in operators. And with that change, it's his life now. You didn't know it before. You thought you were doing bad things, so you needed to be saved. Listen to me now. Sinners think they're doing bad things and need to be saved. That's not it at all. What's wrong with them is they have the wrong nature to their creation. It isn't the bad things. The bad things are the result of who indwells them. Calvary is not to take care of the bad things first. That's secondary. First, Calvary is to take care of this change of persons that's in But if our attitude is doing, then we lose sight that I've had a change in nature. Once sin nature, now I have God nature in me. That's where your mind must be renewed. The bad things we do must be controlled by the inner man. And so what poor old Joe at the altar needed to hear was that he was born again and that God had placed his incorruptible seed in him and that he was a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus and that his whole existence to God now did not depend on his doing but depended on Christ in him as his hope of glory. But none of us got told that. At least I didn't. 
When I got saved, I was told what I must do, and I did my dead level best, but usually failed. So I would tell God every once in a while, God, that was my best. Take it or leave it. He left it because he wasn't interested in that anyhow. He was interested in me coming to know who I was in Christ because God had put a self in me. I had put in myself a person who was complementary to my creation, who could fulfill my life. As Paul says in Colossians 2.10, he could complete me. All persons who do not know Christ lives in them is incomplete. They are incomplete. Is that simple enough? That means they're not all that. Incomplete. So you see, there never was anything wrong with you. And God recognizes that. That's what God's grace is all about. It's fulfilling you. Well now, that's got to grow. When your mind begins to be renewed, that I'm a new person. Actually, you're not a new person. What you are, you are now on the progression of becoming the person God created you to be. So there's never anything wrong with you. You were just misused. You got that in your mind? I've always said the greatest failure in Christian living is the most powerful scripture about Christian living, I think, in the Bible, and that's 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. It's the verse that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, that's the hardest verse of Scripture for a human being to get a hold of, I know of, in the Bible. Because most people don't have the true gospel taught to them, and so they don't understand what a new creation is. What is a new creation? It is a new spirit in you that fulfills your original creation of God as a self. Well, if you don't understand that, then you're going to look every day after you're saved for things to be new. Things to be, they're not going to be new. The new is not out there. The new is in here. The new in here eventually can change some things out there, but that's not the most important. The most important is coming to the knowledge now that within me, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. I like the word, I'm a new creation. I like a better word from the original Greek, I'm a new race of people. I'm in a new race. I'm not the old race anymore. That's why Jews are not Jews anymore. Greeks are not Greeks. There are no Jews or Greeks or barbarians or Scythians in Christ. Why? It's a new race. This new Christian race is different than the old race, not the same at all. So we have to get that fixed in our mind about who we are as a self. Let's talk about the problem of identity for a moment. That's really a big problem, and most people don't understand it. We've got little cliches. Well, this is the way I'm born, this way I'll always be. That's a lie. That's not a truth, that's a lie. Now they say, I've been like this for years, you got to put up with me. That's another lie. Well, I can't change, I'm too old to change. You can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's right. You believe that? That's right. 
And I have to agree that about dogs. If you're a dog, I agree with that. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. I got a dog that kills ducks and chickens. If one of those get out of the barnyard, he gets it. And I beat on him. I've psychoanalyzed him. I've taken him to the vet. And the vet finally told me, get it in your mind, this dog isn't going to change. Once he's killed a chicken, he's a chicken killer. Now, I know a lot of human beings that have a dog nature. At least, they think they can never change. They think there's no hope for them, or they think you put up with me, or else. So you see, we have a bad problem about identity. Whoever we think we are, that's the way we live. Along the way in life, we concrete these feelings about ourselves. We do the same thing everybody in the world does. So that when you finally holler, I'm a Christian, that's God, I'm going to heaven, they don't see any difference in you. Because you've concreted your identity. And they finally think, well, there's good and there's bad people. You ever see a human philosopher? Everybody's got something wrong with them. Everybody's a little good. Don't matter. I could accept that kind of philosophy if it wasn't for the cross. But if that's the case, then the cross had no power. There's no power in the death of Jesus Christ. When God does something, it's arbitrary and it's just a bunch of religious words. It's not real at all. But that's a lie. The cross did mean something. When Jesus died on that cross, I died in. I died in. What is it? Second Corinthians 5 and 14 says, If one died, we're all dead. You understand that? That's a powerful verse. You know what that verse means? That means that every ungodly person in this world is dead in Christ. Now, it's a different kind of death than we have in, in uh, Romans 6. Already they're dead in Christ. What does that mean? That means that there's not an ungodly person living whose life has not already been corrected by God, by Jesus on the cross. What's wrong with them? They've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the instant they do, their life is corrected by the death of Jesus on that cross. That's why most people will probably go to hell and their life was already corrected. They were already dead to the old way of living and to the old way of thinking. It had already passed. And they didn't know it. So I want to pass this thought without saying if there's any of you here who feel like there's something wrong with you and your expression of Christ, I want you to know to God you died on that cross. And until you reckon it so, that way you have of living will always hinder the expression of Christ in you. But don't ever say, I can't help it. Don't ever say, that's the way I am. Take me or leave me. Don't ever say, that's the real me. Because it isn't. You died 
the day Jesus died. You were in his body. In his body, Isaiah said, he bore our transgressions and our sins. We were in Christ. First in Christ's position was in Gethsemane when we poured into his body by the cup. Next in Christ's position was on the cross. Next in Christ's position was coming out of the tomb, buried and coming out of the tomb in resurrection. We were in Christ when he ascended and set the right hand of the Father so Paul could write in Ephesians, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why? We were in him from the moment he went into Gethsemane. But if you don't believe, if you don't understand, there'll be no change in your life. That's why your mind needs to be renewed. You ever meet a cranky person? That wasn't God's intention. That's what they gathered up along the way. Attitude. A way of living. People make you different than what God created you to be. Circumstances make you different. People say to me, well, I'm like I am because nobody's been through what I've been through. Okay. But that isn't the way God is. So I'd like you to see this. There's nothing wrong with you. You were created by God. You were created in his image and life. You've been misused. You've been mishandled. Ever see what liquor does to a person who drinks all their life? Changes him. Hard to see God there. But they're created in the image and likeness of God. They've been misused by Satan's device. Now I'd like you to see something glorious that can happen to you since you've been born again. Rebirth. Since you've got another person living in you. If you can take hold of that, you can be the person God made you to be. And I want to tell you again, most people are not who they appear to be. That's not them at all. That's why marriages break up. That's why children have fallen out with their parents. That's why some folks can't hold a job, can't, can't get along in the world. There ain't anything wrong with you. It's that your mind has not changed with the things God. I could throw a lot of scripture at you and say, don't do this and don't do that. But I'd rather tell you something basic. That you're a completed person now. It's going to take you the rest of your life to find out who you really are. Who you really are. I was talking like this one time in a meeting and the room was filled sort of like this. And there's an old fellow sitting there with his wife. He'd slept half the time in the meeting, but he kind of came alive at point. <clears throat> and he heard me say some of these things. And out loud, so everybody heard him, especially me, he looked over at her and he said, Do you think I'm too old to change? <laughs> I heard him. I looked him straight in the eye and I said, No, sir. You may not make a big change, but it's not too old to start. Now, let's talk about it for a moment. What happens to the person that begins to sense, begins to know, has had revealed to them that Christ lives in them? What happens to them? Things begin to change. They begin to talk differently. I talked some in the last session about a non-separated state, even in your talk. 
Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be one with him if he's one with the Father. You know what? That, that's a triangle. Father, Son, and me. We're all one. We're all one. You know what that means? That means that I don't say or do anything that's not like talking to the Father. You ever wonder what Paul meant when he wrote uh, Pray Without Ceasing? <clears throat> you ever wonder how you could do that? A lot of us had the idea we had to stay in the altar a long time. And that's good for you. If you feel led to do it, do it. But that's not what he meant. What did he mean, pray without ceasing? He meant that this Christ in us and the relationship with we have the Father puts us in a place that everything we say is like a prayer because it's under the Father. Oh, that might guard your words if you get a hold of that. That might keep you from flying off the handle or fussing at the wife or this vice versa. Every word you say is like a prayer because you're in oneness with the Father. In our uh, last Life in the Sun magazine here, <clears throat> we have a good illustration of that. We have a testimony from a pastor up in the state of Washington. And he said something important. He said, since I come into the prayer life or into the Christ life, I don't pray like I used to. I don't, I don't pray like I don't pray the same and I don't pray like I used to. I don't pray as much as I used to. Because to me, it used to be that prayer was me trying to get a hold of God. He said now that the Christ life is here, I don't do this anymore. I'm in a non-separated state from him, so I don't have to try to get a hold of him. But he said the real thing that's happened is, I find myself not asking God for anything. What a fellowship. You're walking and talking with the Lord. Jesus said, I pray that they may be one with me as I'm one with you, if that ever happened to us. What would that do to all you're asking? I got to thinking about it myself. I very seldom ask God for anything. I don't ask hardly anything for myself. But I don't ask God for anything anymore. Because I don't figure I'm out of relationship with him in any way. You say, well, that's all they did is pray in the Old Testament. I'm not in the Old Testament. You can't possibly make an Old Testament saint out of me. I don't want to be. I don't want to be like Abraham. I don't want to be like David. I don't want to be like Jonah. Well, I may be like that more than... I don't want to be like any of those fellows. Why? They didn't have Christ in them. They had to do these things. It was a different world. I'm in a different world. I'm in a relationship with God to where my whole life is being consumed by him. Now, those words are stronger than reality, but I'm on my way. I'm being consumed. That's what it's all about. But back to the point. I don't want anybody to mess with my identity. I used to be the head of a large counseling center. And the first thing we knew, there's, I don't know, eight, ten counselors, psychologists that were in, in our center there. And we would have staff meetings, and the, one of the first things that come up is, uh, we knew for a fact nobody wanted to be changed. 
That's the first thing we knew about people. He didn't really want to be changed. They were going to pay that money to come to a psychiatrist, uh, 50 bucks an hour at that time, and they are psychologists. But they didn't want to be changed. What they wanted to do was to be pacified and somebody to bless their identity, who they were. And if somebody else was involved, they wanted us to tell the other person that this is all right, you got the problem. Because we don't want anybody to touch who we think we are. I have this same problem when I present the Christ life to hunger hearts. A lot of them leave. You want me to tell you why you have trouble reaching people with this message? They don't want that radical change. It scares them to think I won't be me anymore. That's why I say you're a weird group here. You're, you've all mostly made that decision. I don't want to be me anymore. I don't want to be who I was. I'd like to constantly grow into what God made me to be. Amen? Well, you say, what's going to happen to all those people that don't know that? Well, I like to tell about a little dream I had one time. I went to heaven, and when I got up to heaven, I walked in the pearly gates and over at the side, I saw a huge group of people. They were all sitting there listening to, I don't know who it was, an angel or somebody. And I said to the angel near me, what is all these people doing here? Oh, he said, that's all the preachers that never learned Christ on earth. They're having to do it up here. <laughs> See, we don't really want to make these changes. We want everybody else to adjust to us. Well, I don't want you to make any changes you don't want to. But if you fall in love with the Jesus that's in you, things are going to change. What's going to change? You say, well, I won't do bad anymore. No, you'll probably do bad. Well, I won't be so mean anymore. You'll probably still be mean some. Then what's going to change? You're going to start becoming who God created you to be. That's my point. Who he created you to be. I spent most of my life in a false identity. Let me tell you about me. As a young fellow, I dreamed of being a big preacher. In 1947, we had two big preachers in the United States that for the first time in Pentecost was reaching big crowds. Up till then, I never saw a big crowd in Pentecost, all little groups, you know, around the country. But I went to a meeting of, of, of this preacher, and there was, there was uh, 20,000 people there. And as a young preacher, I scooted around around. I couldn't believe I just scooted round and round on that seat watching all those people. Where'd they all come from? Didn't know there's this many people in existence. That was at a William Brannan meeting. And so I made my mind up, I'm gonna be like William Brannan. Just I'm gonna pray to God and talk to an angel or somebody like he did, and they'll tell me to go heal the sick, and then I'll have a crowd like that. Soon after that I met another fellow who had a big crowd. His name was William Freeman. And it just sanctioned this idea that I was going to be somebody, somebody big, somebody great. And so I started out, but never did happen. I spent two years on my face before God. I mean, every afternoon for about six hours, I laid on the floor groaning, wanting God to take me somewhere. All these other preachers had either gone to heaven and God told them something, or an angel met them or something. And uh, so I kept saying, God, take me somewhere. Somebody talked to me and tell me to go do this. Well, after two years, I didn't get any help at all. 
And so I just said one night in a meeting, I said, God, I'm going to pray for the sick even if you didn't tell me to do it. The Bible says I can do it. <laughs> so, so I started praying for the sick and they started being healed and I kept it up. From then on, I just went on without any word from heaven at all. And I did, did important things, did great things. When I, when I pastored, I did everything you could do. I started with a little handful of people in the first church I built. I think eight people was in the first meeting. We ended up with over 1,500 a Sunday morning, and that was back before we had big crowds. God really blessed that. In that church, I had a college. I had a day school. I had a old folks' home. I had a boys' rank. Finally, we had a radio station and a television station. I mean, there wasn't anything in existence I didn't try to do. You know what? None of that was me. Not the real me. When I got into television, I found out who the real me wasn't. I wasn't that guy that had to raise money. Every time I opened my mouth, it had to be money. Because it took lots of money to run a television show. It never was me. You know what I found out about me? Me, my life was not to be in a big crowd. We've had a few of them, but didn't matter. You know what my life was? I finally found it after years of doing things. My life was standing before people just like I stand before you and talking to you about how you have another life already in you. If I could help you to reach it, my life. Oh, I didn't have many people listening to me. 30, 40 a night. In our groups that I go to around the country, little groups. But that's the real me. Lady came to me not long ago and she said, are you the real Lichman? I said, probably not. Well, she said, I remember you when you had those big crowds. Thousands of people come out for healing and all that. She said, I can't believe it. There's only 40 people here. Where'd you go? I said, I found myself. I said, you don't know it, but that wasn't me, that big crowd. This is me here. Because the real me was created by God to give a message. I wasn't created by God to build buildings. I built a lot of buildings when I was in pastor. I wasn't created by God to run a television station or to have a television ministry. I wasn't created by God to do all these things to help people. I come to find out that there was a thousand people who could do those things, even better than I. But there wasn't anybody doing what God really called me to do, and that was to help people. This is the real me. Now, not all me here. You're right. I'm not all here. But myself here. My total self stands before you. And in this total self is a total Christ. And the two of us daily are getting together better. We're getting together. I'm growing up in him. I'm coming to his full stature. I still got a ways to go. You know that already. But that's the real me. Now I've discovered Christ. You know who the real Christ is to me? He's not somebody who walks this aisle unless you get up and walk it. The real Christ to me is how he comes out of me and how he comes out of you. You get angry, you get mad, that's not, that's not the real you. 
Because that isn't Christ coming out of you like God created you because he didn't create something good. He created you to be who you are. So how does he come out of me? How do I know Christ? By how he comes out of me. How am I going to react to certain things? What am I going to do? You know, when I first started preaching, I knew everything there was to know. Couldn't tell me anything. I already knew it all. But I was thinking about this question a fellow wrote here. I don't have an answer to that. I haven't found many that did. I've looked it up a few times. They all say something about it. But you know, it doesn't hurt me now to say I don't have an answer. It don't hurt me now to say I don't know something about the Scriptures. It hurts. Well, that's real me. Stripped to the facade. Stripped to the varnish. Down to the wood. There's nothing wrong with you. You've been misused. You've formed a false identity of yourself. Last point on this is you can't see yourself as a world. Strange thing about the world. And Jesus was the first to say it. You know what he said one time? He said the world We'll know what's wrong with the Christian before. Because, you know, when some of our big preachers over in the States went bad, they were on television, big names, you know. Christians didn't know at all what was going on. But I came across people in the world again and again and said, that guy's a crook. Well, I used to rebuke them. Y'all not say that about God's servants. No. They were right. Jesus said that would happen. That the people of the world be smarter. And the children of God. Why? Because the world can take a look at us and tell whether it's a real us or not. Is that really you? Is that true? Every time I go to a new meeting somewhere, Robbie and I go through it. They take a good look at us and see whether we're real, whether we're, we're what we say we are. Or we are. You're seeing the real me. I'm not perfect yet. I'm perfect before God. Isn't that good news? I'm perfect before God. Scripture said that several times. We're perfect. <laughs> I'm not perfect to you and I'm not perfect to me, but we're perfect to God. Why? He sees Jesus. He sees Christ. Christ in us. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this great series on renewing the mind from Warren Litzman. Don't forget, you can go to our bookstore. Go to the website, Christ-Life.org. Christ-Life.org. Get in there and then go to the bookstore and find some of these great teachings that Warren left behind that you can own right in your own home, and you'll have a wonderful library that will be probably the most important library you could ever have. Well, thank you for being with us today. We'll see you next time. We want to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful teachings. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account each week. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by the wonderful Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.